You're listening to sermon audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. This past fall at Grace Mosaic, we worked through a series in which we learned what the book of Ephesians has to teach us about the church. What is the church? What's it about? How are we to understand the church? How are we to look at the church? And today, I want to put a bow, as it were, on our teaching on the church by considering what it is that Christmas teaches us about the church. And I think we received this very invitation from Jesus in the Gospel of John when he says, As the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. Every year, there are those who try to form your understanding of this season and your way of celebrating this season and your way of forming little family traditions during this season. There are all kinds of forces that are trying to form how you are and who you are during Christmas time. So it's important that we open our hearts above all to how it is that Jesus wants to form us during Christmas time. We know that Christmas time is a time of focus in the church year where we think on the substance of Christ's words. The Father has sent me. We realize that, right? Like this is the time where we focus on the substance of Christ's word. The Father has sent me. But what's interesting is that during Christmas time, the second half of what Jesus said is often ignored. Even so, I am sending you. The Father has sent me. We wonder at the manner in which the Son of God came and we celebrate by singing hymns and and songs and buying gifts for one another. And this is a good response. But according to Jesus, there's a better response. There's a better response for the church to offer, and that response is worshipful identification and imitation. What do you do with Christmas time? You reevaluate your identity, and you think about imitation when you look at the incarnation. This is what we find in the second part of Christ's statement. Listen to the words of Jesus again. As the Father has sent me, even so... I am sending you. Even so. It's one Greek word, kathos, a comparative conjunction, that shows you manner. In other words, it's used to create a comparison between the ideas it's connecting. It tells how something is to be done. Comparative conjunctions are often translated with as, just as, in the same way. Or in this manner. What Jesus is saying is is he's comparing his sending with the sending of his disciples. In other words, he's aligning his mission with their mission. How they are going to work out their mission is how he worked out his mission. Jesus is saying, you're going to extend the kingdom in the same manner that I did. The presence of the church in the world is to take shape in the same manner that I was present in the world. As the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. 
And I want you to think about the depth that this adds to our way of being in the world as the church. I want you to think about the counterintuitive, countercultural way of being that this gives to the church. To think about this statement through the lenses of Christmas is to give it a, a whole new depth. Think about what the church must learn from Christmas and how Christmas must shape the church's being and self-understanding in the world. Christmas shows us humility. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, quote, who among us will celebrate Christmas correctly? Whoever finally lays down all power, all honor, all reputation, all vanity, all arrogance, all individualism beside the manger. Whoever remains lowly and lets God alone be high, whoever looks at the child in the manger and sees the glory of God precisely in his lowliness, that's the person that'll celebrate Christmas rightly. I think what Bonhoeffer is telling us is that we have to unlearn the idea that God primarily works when we are ascending in rank, power, and reputation. We have to unlearn the idea that God is only working when things are going our way and our earthly dreams are being fulfilled. That's when God is working. You know what this is? This is syncretism. It's a blending of American culture with Christianity and out comes something different. Family, we have to relearn the lesson of Christmas and free it from American cultural captivity. And remember that God is at work in the descent, in the emptying, in the sometimes crushing ordinariness of life. Ask yourself, if you want to understand how close you are to really digesting this, then ask yourself a question. How would you send a king? How would you send the king? Think about that. Then ask yourself, how did God send the king? And the gap between how you would do it and how he has done it shows you how much you have to learn of humility. That shows you how much you have to learn of humility. Christmas shows our Savior being sent in humility and our Savior means to send us in the same way, even as sent in humility. Andrew Murray, a minister, once said, quote, Jesus came to bring humility back to earth to make us partakers of it and by it to save us. His humility is our salvation and his salvation is our humility. You see what he's saying? He's saying Jesus came to make humility great again. The humility of Christ in his incarnation was not just an astounding feat of divine restraint, family. Humility was the fruit of his holiness and glory. And when the church so embraces holiness and glory in this way, we will see a new humility at work in the church. Maybe it's the case that we're not humble because we're not concerned with glory. Maybe... It's the case that we're not humble because we're not holy. Because that's the farthest thing from our minds. That's the thing that strikes you about Christmas. What kind of God does this? What kind of God? 
He's holy. No one like him. Utterly unique in all his ways. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are higher than ours. But we need to reclaim the message of Christmas because it's a message of humility. But Christmas also shows us weakness. Look at what God accomplished through weakness and get it into your mind that this has always been God's way in the world. (laughs) This has always been God's way in the world. As long as God has been using human beings, he's been working through weakness. And the amazing thing is that God himself does not despise to enter into weakness himself. Just as the father sent the son in weakness, he sends his church in weakness. Now, I know we love the idea of being sent in our strengths. I know and and, it often comes in the language of, you know, I need to operate in my gifts. That's often code language for I want to operate in my strength. I know we like to be sent in strength, but God sends weak people to gather weak people and to bring them to a strong God who can empathize with the weak and welcome us. He sends the weak to gather the weak. You know, when it comes to God's mission, it's not our weaknesses that get in the way. It's our delusions of strength. It's not our weaknesses that get in the way, family. It's our delusions of strength. I'm strong at this thing and I'm strong at that thing. And oftentimes it's our delusions. We're deceived. We think so much more highly of our strengths than we ought to. It's our delusions of strength. We are much more. The fact of the matter is that we're much more familiar with weakness than strength. And it forces us to ask a question. How will we ever welcome the morally weak, emotionally weak, spiritually weak, positionally weak people of this world into the rescue of Jesus and into our community if they're under the impression that the church is a club for the strong? How will they ever think that they could find a home here? How would it ever enter into their mind? No, we need to be a people that knows our weakness that owns our weakness, that confesses our weakness, but does not despair because of our weakness. It is the weak for whom God has come. God was so concerned to gather the weak that he himself became weak as if to say, it's okay, you can come near to me. It's the grand invitation for the weak. Here's the deal. We're not strong. We're not. We're not strong. And Christmas says so. If we were really strong, there would be no need for Christmas in the first place. If there is any, while the world is shopping and consuming and, and having a ball, elements of which are really important and good and true, the feasting, the celebration. But while the world has this vision of Christmas, we need to remember that Christmas is a devastating judgment on the world. This is the depth of descent that was required in order for you to be rescued. You were that broken. You were that needy. You were that bad. But 
Christmas says you don't need to despair because God was that good. God was that generous. God was that faithful. God was that true. God was that covenantally committed to bringing us home. And that's good news. That's good news, family. If we were strong, there would be no need for Christmas to begin with. But because of Christmas, because of God in the world, God in the flesh, God in the manger, we have an invitation to be honest about our weakness. We are sent in that weakness and we have every reason to hope and expect that God will demonstrate his strength through our weakness. Even the apostle, after running down through the Rolodex of his weaknesses and sufferings, said, but when I am weak, that's when I'm strong. (laughs) It reminds me of a a story that's told in church history about a missionary to a leper colony. And this missionary went to this leper colony in order to serve them. They were in the South Pacific. And this missionary labored among these lepers, trying to minister to them, trying to care for them. They were an unreached people group. And all of the efforts, all of the preaching, all of the sophisticated theological explanations fell on deaf ears. And so after a period of time, the missionary decided it was really no use that he should go home. And when the missionary got on the ship to go home folded his hands and he looked and he noticed a spot on his hand. He had contracted leprosy. And at that moment, he got off of the ship and he committed his life to serve the leper colony. And when he came back to the leper colony and he showed them that he was now one of them, that he shared their weakness that he understood their affliction. Massive conversions began to take place. People began to come to faith. They began to be able to receive what it was that he had to say because he could identify with them, family. The way that we may minister most meaningfully to a weak and broken world is to be honest about our weakness, that we share That status, that liability, that frailty and fragility, we share it. But the God of heaven does not despise it, so they might as well come on in with us. Christmas shows us weakness. Christmas shows us, finally, vulnerability. A vulnerable infant who was part of a vulnerable social group that was part of a vulnerable ethnic group. And yet... Think about the tenderness that we receive from God in his vulnerability. He vulnerably lays his heart open before us. He vulnerably lets us in to know him and to be close to him. He let us get so close that we could hurt him. And we did. And we did, but it was vulnerability to the point of death that restored us. It was his vulnerability. God was, he was indestructible. 
He was invulnerable to death, but he made himself vulnerable by taking on human flesh so that he could make himself a victim of the grave and then conquer it and take us in his victory, to take us up. It is true, family, listen, I'm I'm telling you the message of Christmas and what it means for the church, what it means for who we are. You know, a lot of times who you become is a product of the vision you have in your head. And a lot of times we need to wipe the bad imaginations that we have about who we're supposed to be and what we should want and what it should look like around here. We need a holy, sacred imagination that's informed by the story of the gospel, beginning with incarnation. I want you to see something. This is true. It's true to the story of Christ that he did the most good in the world when he was most vulnerable. And it's also true to the story of the church that the church has done the most good in the world when it has been most vulnerable and when it has been attuned to the most vulnerable. I've said this often enough through my ministry here at Grace Mosaic, but I think exhibit A for this is the black church. The black church. Think about the public impact that was had by the most vulnerable church in America. A church that was vulnerable to water hoses and dogs. A church that was vulnerable to lynchings and abuse. A church that was vulnerable and cast out and marginalized. And yet it was this church and opening itself up to the torturous treatment that it faced that ultimately broke through the scourge of hatred and made advances in the name of love. Don't get it twisted. The civil rights movement was shot through with the rugged and robust faith of a vulnerable church. We have a lot to learn there. We have a lot to learn because we spend most of our time trying to cover up our vulnerabilities. We spend most of our time trying to protect ourselves, trying to protect ourselves, make ourselves invulnerable. But we have to remember, this is the way it's always been in the church. That's just in America. The church historic and global has the same story. When the church was most vulnerable, when it opened up itself to the world is when it did the world most good, when it opened its heart. You know, the church, according to the message of Christmas, it's not supposed to be building higher walls. It's supposed to be building longer tables. That's the church formed by Christmas. Christmas shows us vulnerability. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. But why does this matter? Why does it matter that we make this Christmas time connection with the church? I think Leslie Newbigin helps us when he says, quote, the primary reality of which we have to take account in seeking for a Christian impact in the public life is the Christian congregation. How is it possible that the gospel should be credible That people should come to believe that the power which has the last word in human affairs is represented by a man hanging on a cross. How will the world come to believe that's credible? The only answer, the only hermeneutic of the gospel is a congregation of men and women who believe it and live by it. (coughs) You hear what Newbegin's saying? 
That's the only way that the gospel will be digestible by the world is if they see it worked out, believed and lived out by a congregation. That's why it matters that the church identifies as a community sent in the same manner that Christ was sent. Sent in humility, to walk in humility. Sent in weakness. Sent in vulnerability. This is what New Begin is saying. When the church believes the gospel and lives by the gospel, it becomes the interpretive grid through which people come to understand and believe the gospel. I think this is one of the reasons why we have misplaced our emphasis on individualistic endeavors to share the gospel. Sharing the gospel is a corporate work in how we are together, who we are together, why we are together, what we are together. It's in that embodiment of Christmas that we bear most faithful witness to the world. What this means is that the church that faithfully lives in light of the gospel will be a community of praise in a world of doubt and skepticism. It will be a community of truth in a pluralist, relativistic society. It will be a selfless community that is involved in the concerns of its neighborhood amidst a selfish world. It will be a community prepared to live out the gospel in public life in a world that privatizes all religious claims. It will be a community of mutual responsibility in a world of individualism. It will be a community of hope in a world of pessimism and cynicism. We will most fully celebrate Christmas, family, when we realize that Christmas is not just the story of Jesus Christ. It's the script of the church. Let's pray. Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.